If you haven't already, let's open up to uh, Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4, and we'll, we'll take uh, our reading in um, just a, a moment's time. But it's uh, taken us uh, eight lessons, but we've finally uh, finished the household code uh, in Paul's letter here. And uh, now we come to some final instructions that Paul gives uh, before he closes uh, the letter with a series of personal greetings and messages. And that's quite typical of Paul's letters. He, he finishes them by uh, addressing uh, individuals. Now the household code runs from uh, chapter 3 verse 18 through to chapter 4 verse 1. Uh, We have this little section with some final instructions that goes from chapter 4 verse 2 to verse 6. And then we have the closing of the letter from chapter 4 verse 7 down to verse 18. There is a a rather abrupt turn to these uh, final instructions in chapter 4. We we have the command given to masters in verse 1, which we looked at last Wednesday. And then Paul immediately begins to talk about prayer and to request prayer for himself and his ministry. We we move from the specifics of the the household to the Christian life in general. And uh, this is our subject tonight, prayer. I think we would all confess that it's a challenging topic. Uh, Whenever we are reminded uh, about the necessity of prayer in a a sermon or a Bible study, it it presses in on us because uh, we all fall short. Uh, I was uh, convicted about my prayer life as I prepared this lesson. I'm certainly not above correction uh, on this front. Uh, We could all do better in this vital part of our uh, walk with the Lord. In this text, Paul doesn't say everything there is to say about prayer. This is, this is not an exhaustive theological exposition of the subject, and so uh, I'm not going to give you that tonight. I'm going to try to keep uh, within the scope of the text and keep it fairly simple because the text, mercifully, is simple. Now, I've called this lesson evangelistic prayer because uh, that's what Paul describes here. He gives some general instructions concerning prayer. And then he makes some very specific prayer requests. And I believe these serve as a model for our praying. Uh, This is what we should be praying for, uh, because our responsibility is the same as Paul's, to spread the good news, to make disciples. And so uh, let's read the text, and then we'll pray and ask God to help us understand it and apply it. Colossians chapter 4 Beginning at verse 2. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. With all praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's uh, our privilege to meet together tonight to uh, study your word. We know that when your uh, word is opened and read and preached, uh, you're speaking to us. Uh, These are your thoughts. This is your will. We pray that it would be your voice that is heard with great clarity tonight. Uh, Help us uh, on this uh, particular topic. We would all confess that uh, prayer is not easy. And so uh, we ask for grace to to learn tonight 
And to go from here and, and put into practice what we learn, we commit ourselves now into your care in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to address these verses under two main headings, uh, each with three points under them. Under them, uh, The first heading is how to pray, and the second is uh, what to pray. That's a really clever outline. How to pray, uh, what to pray. So first of all, how to pray. Now Paul begins uh, his letter uh, to the Colossians by telling them that he prays for them. Uh, He gives thanks for their faith, their hope, and their love. Uh, He prays that they might be filled with the knowledge of God's will, uh, walk worthy of the Lord, be fruitful and be strengthened. It's a a beautiful paragraph uh, there in chapter 1, if you can remember back to when we studied chapter 1. But now as Paul nears the end of his letter, he tells the Colossians to pray. Continue in prayer. And watch in the same with thanksgiving. Now before we get to the three points in this verse, it's worth thinking about whether it was individual private prayer that Paul had in mind here, or corporate prayer, you know, what we've just done for the last 30 minutes. I think it's a reference to both, really to, to prayer in general, but I do think the initial application is to corporate prayer. Now, in in chapter 3, Paul has said a lot of things about the Colossians' common Christian experience. Uh, Just before he he gave the household code, he talked about unity in the body. He talked about corporate worship, particularly singing. And then in the verse that follows these ones on prayer, here in chapter 4, Paul talks about the way the Colossians are to live before those who are outside the church. The focus seems to be on the collective, on the body as a whole. Now this is worth keeping in mind because we tend to think of prayer as primarily being an individual spiritual discipline. Uh, We we think of it as something critical to my personal relationship with the Lord. And of course it is. Uh, We think less about the corporate aspect of prayer which arguably receives more attention in the bible god's people pray together and we are to continue in this this is to be our practice as christians to to meet like we have tonight for the purpose of prayer and and to pray when we're together at other times it's it's basic Uh, this praying is the lifeblood of the church and yet it's often neglected or downgraded in importance or, or viewed as something sort of optional in the Christian life. Now, whether it's as individuals or as the body, in, in verse 2 we're given three essential elements for our praying. These answer the how-to question. First of all, we are to pray continually. Uh, it's right there at the head of the verse. Continue in prayer. There is more to the word that Paul uses here than comes across in our King James translation. Uh, The English word continue uh, means to to keep on doing it. It doesn't communicate much more than that, but uh, the Greek word does. Uh, The Greek word is pros, katereo. It's made up of two words, pros meaning towards and kateros meaning strong. Literally, to be strong towards. And I like that. Be strong towards prayer. The word means to be continually steadfast, 
to persevere. And it implies that prayer requires effort. And it's not always easy. If Paul is calling us to be continually steadfast, if he's calling us to persevere in prayer, then obviously there must be things that make it hard to pray. Challenges, obstacles, difficulties, things we have to endure, things we have to push through. It requires effort. And we all know that's true, don't we? It's not easy to continue in prayer, whether it's our daily private praying or coming together to pray as a church. We have busy lives, we have many responsibilities, we get tired, we get distracted. We have to battle against our own flesh and laziness, selfishness and so on. And maybe when it comes to corporate prayer, there are interpersonal problems that, that get in the way Uh, bitterness, division, quarrels. We don't want to pray with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Why why would we stretch ourselves to do that, to to make that a priority? Often there's a part of us that would rather be doing other things and and we get really good at making excuses as to why we just can't pray. Too busy, too tired, whatever. But the simple fact is we must we must. We, we need to pray and we're commanded to pray. We, we have to stick at this all the days of our lives. Now, evening, morning and at noon will I pray. Continue instant in prayer. Pray without ceasing. So number one, we are to pray continually. And then number two, we are to pray watchfully. Uh, Paul said to the Colossians, continue in prayer and watch in the same now this word watch literally means to have been roused from sleep, to, to, to be awake. Hence it means to be alert uh, and vigilant. Uh, this was the instruction Jesus gave to his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's the same word. Mark chapter 14 verse 34. And uh, Jesus saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. But unfortunately, they didn't do as he said. Verse 37, And he cometh and findeth them sleeping, and saith unto Peter, Simon, sleepest thou? Couldst not thou watch one hour? So there is, there is definitely a physical dimension to this. We need to stay awake when we pray. I mean, it's easy to, uh, it's easy to fall asleep. Um, there is also a mental aspect to this. It's easy for the mind to wander off when we pray, isn't it? Uh, this happens to me frequently. I'll, I'll be praying and then I'll, I'll, I'll catch myself off on some mental tangent. I'm, I'm thinking about something far away from what I was praying about. But we have to make an effort to concentrate, to focus, to be engaged. Paul is also talking about a, a general watchfulness when it comes to prayer. Uh, this word is used 12 times in the New Testament. With regards to Christ's return, and I've put a couple of references in your notes, Uh, we have to be aware and alert to the truth that Jesus might return at any moment, and we we need to live accordingly. We need to be alert, be watchful. Uh, It's also used in relation to the devil. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8, Be sober, be vigilant, that's our word, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Paul wanted the Colossians to be alert to the need for prayer. I think that's really what he's getting at. 
Now, our day can kind of uh, sort of pass us by, can't it? You know, there are a whole bunch of situations where we should have prayed, we should have asked for God's help or made intercession for someone else, but we, we didn't. It just passed us by. We weren't watching. Uh, prayer wasn't on our mind. It never occurred to us to pray. Now, Paul is talking about the, the opposite here, the opposite mindset. Vigilance, alertness, being awake to the need to pray and commit people and situations to the Lord. So, how are we to pray? Number one, continually. Number two, watchfully. And then number three, we are to pray thankfully. It's there at the end of verse two. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. Uh, Paul has already mentioned this in his letter, uh, chapter 2 verse 7 and reading from verse 6 if you want to flip back there chapter 2 verse 6 as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord so walk ye in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as ye have been taught abounding therein with thanksgiving Uh, this is an essential part of uh, the Christian life of being established in the faith an essential part of being a follower of Christ it's an essential part of prayer, and uh, we know this. This is not new information to any of you tonight. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, where Paul urges his readers to be diligent in prayer, he likewise impresses upon them the necessity of thanksgiving. This is a favourite verse, I'm sure. Be careful, that is, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. Now, thanksgiving is not only entirely appropriate for we who are creatures and sons, it also orients us when we pray. Now, to, to give thanks is to have the right view of God. You know, it puts him in the right place and it puts us in the right place. We're, we're, we're dependent upon him. Every good thing that comes into our lives is from him and is a token of his grace. In this respect, thanksgiving is a, is a great antidote to pride. Now, if you have a problem with pride, then be intentional about thanksgiving. You know, grateful people are not proud people. And it's also thanksgiving that so often saves us from falling into bitterness despair and we can become so fixated on some difficulty in our life or some disappointment it it dominates our thinking and we begin to sink negative thoughts bad attitudes and and down we go the more miserable we become it's a, a vicious harmful spiral you know what we need to do is arrest that spiral by giving thanks we need to point our minds and our hearts toward the good Because in truth, God's goodness to us is far greater than whatever that disappointment might be. When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord hath done. Beloved, we we need to count our blessings and remember from whence they have come. We need to pray with thanksgiving. And so we see how to pray here in verse 2. Paul 
uh, gives the Colossians and he gives us some general instructions. Then in verses 3 and 4 he tells the Colossians what to pray. And here we see what I referred to earlier. We see a, a pattern for evangelistic prayer. Uh, let's reread the verses. And then I want to draw your attention to three aspects. Verse 3, with all also, uh, sorry, with all praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds. Verse 4, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. First of all, notice that Paul asks the Colossians to pray for people. Paul says, praying also for us. Uh, The us in context here is Paul and Timothy. We know that from uh, chapter 1, verse 1. And then Paul requests prayer for himself, that I may make it manifest. Paul also refers to his personal circumstances. He was in bonds. Uh, Colossians is one of four prison epistles uh, written during Paul's first imprisonment in Rome. Uh, The others are Ephesians, Philippians, and Philemon. Now there is a place for uh, uh, general prayers for the progress of the gospel around the world and, and for the advancement of God's kingdom, but that progress occurs through the ministry of men and women, through people. And we need to follow the example set here and pray for people and for their particular circumstances, just as the Colossians were to pray for Paul, who at this time was in bonds. Thankfully, uh, as a church, uh, we do this. Uh, We're on the the right track with uh, with this. We've done this very thing tonight. We pray for missionaries by name, and uh, when we're aware of them, we pray for specific needs. You know, they're unwell, or they're in danger, or there is some special challenge they're dealing with. We pray for our own church leaders and those who serve in our ministry. Uh, uh, Our prayer list is always full of names. I hope we do this in our private prayer times. Make intercession for people and their particular needs. And and not just for their own well-being, but so that they can be a light for the Lord wherever they are serving him. Secondly, we note that Paul requested prayer for opportunities. Uh, With all praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ. I wonder if this uh, metaphor of an open door had special significance for Paul at this time because uh, the physical door was closed. (laughs) He was in prison, probably probably under house arrest. Uh, Perhaps Paul felt very limited at this point in terms of his a gospel ministry. He was, he was really praying that a door would be open for him. Now the figure of an open door refers to an opportunity. And we use it today in our conversations. You know, doors were opened. I was able to do what I had planned. Now Paul wanted the Colossians to pray that God would open for him a door of utterance. Now we don't use this term utterance very much these days. The translators have used it here to translate the word logos. I've put the Greek in your notes. It's thuran to logu, the genitive form of logos for the two Greek nerds in the room. I suspect most of us are familiar with this word logos. It means word. And uh, it's used in relation to God the Son in John chapter 1. 
The request was, was for an open door for the word, the, the, the word of God, for opportunities to utter, to, to preach the gospel. And we know that it's the word that this world needs to hear. It's the word that brings salvation and life. I like what uh, Douglas Moo says about this in his commentary on this verse. I've put it in your notes. It is the word that must be given entrance because it is the word that has the power to transform human beings. Now, we are all for works of mercy and justice, uh, providing health care and education and so on. And uh, we might pray that God would open doors for these things. But above all, we must pray for an open door for the word. That's evangelism. Uh, Good works accompany evangelism. Perhaps they assist in evangelism, but they're not evangelism. It's only the proclamation of the gospel that saves and transforms. Uh, Dr. Moo continues, In requesting prayer for the opening of a door for the word, Paul implies that it is God who prepares the way for the message of the gospel. He provides opportunities. He softens the hearts of listeners by his grace. This is true. I, I think of Lydia In Acts chapter 16, the text says that she was a woman whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. The the Lord had prepared the way for the entrance of the gospel into her life. And no one savingly receives the gospel apart from the work of God, the, uh, the work of the Holy Spirit, illuminating the mind and convicting the soul. And we are to pray to this end. We ask God both to order the circumstances such that there are opportunities to speak and we ask him to prepare the hearts of the hearers. And we, we pray this for others and we, we pray this for ourselves. Now, Lord, open a door today. <laughs> Bring someone along my path. Give me a moment with someone and work in their heart. And when the door was opened... What Paul wanted to proclaim was what he called the mystery of Christ, praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ. Now, this is really a synonym for the full revelation of the gospel in the New Testament. Christ and all that he is and the life-giving relationship he has with his people, that's the mystery. That's, that's what was unveiled after his ascension and Paul was responsible for this, for, for making this known. Now, Paul talks about the mystery of Christ in chapter 1, verses 24 through 29. And if you want to know more about it, you can find the study we, uh, studies we had on those verses on our website. It was back in July and August of 2015. I'm, I'm not going to dive into all of that theology tonight. It's a, it's a rich subject, the mystery of Christ. So we pray for people. We pray for opportunities. And thirdly, we pray for clarity. And that is clarity in speaking, clarity in sharing the gospel. Verse 4, that I may make it manifest, that is the mystery of Christ, as I ought to speak. And Paul wanted people to get the message. He wanted to show them Christ. He wanted to make the gospel manifest. That was his calling. He was obligated to do that. The, The resurrected Lord Jesus had personally met Paul and charged him with this task. Read Paul's testimony in Acts chapter 26. 
I ought to speak, Paul said here. It's, it's necessary that I speak. Paul was compelled to speak this message and to speak it as clearly as he possibly could. And he asked for prayer that he might do that, that he might fulfil his apostolic commission. Now one author uh, commenting on this prayer request writes this. He says, wonderful as Paul's preaching was to his hearers and seems to us, he was never satisfied with it. What preacher can be? If possible, Paul wanted to speak more clearly. He, He wanted to do a better job at making Christ manifest. And remember, this was coming from one of the the greatest minds of his age. Paul's knowledge of the scriptures and his powers of reason were phenomenal, and yet he acknowledged his need for help. He requested prayer so that he could share the gospel more effectively. And so it almost goes without saying that if this was Paul's prayer, then it really should be our prayer, shouldn't it? We ought to pray this for others, for our pastors, for others who teach in the public ministries of the church, and we ought to pray for all our brothers and sisters. We should pray this for ourselves, for divine help to be clear in what we say, to communicate the truth effectively. This is evangelistic prayer. We make intercession for people for those entrusted with the task of making disciples, the instruments by which God advances his kingdom in this world. We pray for opportunities, for open doors for the word. and We pray for clarity that God might enable his servants to speak clearly, to, to manifest the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray this way corporately when we come together and we pray this way privately and... We fulfill our responsibility. Okay, we, we take the opportunities that uh, come our way. We, we walk through the door when it's opened. We open our mouths and speak. And we trust God for the outcome. You know, if people believe the message or if they reject it, that's out of our hands. We leave that to God. And we rest in knowing this, that his word always accomplishes the purposes for which it has been sent forth. The word of the gospel is never wasted. It's never in vain. And so let's keep praying and let's keep speaking. Amen.